Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. Oh, boy, the media is all abuzz this week about a new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which did an interesting analysis. They wanted to see how and if the symptoms and features of people with autism spectrum disorder who participate in studies published in the last two decades have changed over time. You've already heard about changes in the prevalence across years. So within people who are diagnosed, how did the profile of symptoms in the early 2000s change from the profile of symptoms from studies published by 2018? I know what you're thinking. This group must have gone through every single publication, thousands and thousands of them, and plotted the findings. This must have taken them forever. Well, there was a lot of data, over 27,000 people included in total. However, they went about this by conducting a summary of summaries. Over time, researchers occasionally take a group of studies about a particular topic and do what is known as a meta-analysis. They combine the data, including dozens of studies, and look at what the differences are. For example, do people with autism have problems reading emotions? A meta-analysis would summarize the differences of people on different tasks that study how people understand and possibly interpret the emotions of other people and then compare them to people without autism. So instead of going back to the thousands and thousands of primary studies, they utilized 11 meta-analyses, which represented hundreds of studies from the 1990s to 2018. So not every single autism study was included, but they also didn't look at every feature of autism. What they did look at were things like cognitive flexibility, planning, inhibition, emotional recognition, theory of mind, brain size, and brain electrical activity. So things like sensory issues were not included, nor were medical issues. They looked at the differences between those with autism and those without with the idea of were the differences between those with autism and those without larger 20 years ago, smaller 20 years ago, or have they not changed? Have there been the same differences in the 1990s that you see in more recent years? They asked this question in part in their minds to ask why there's been changes in prevalence, but actually it really speaks to within an autism diagnosis, have the profiles of people with autism changed? They found the differences in people diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders versus those without autism spectrum disorders have decreased over time. There were much more drastic changes in things like emotional recognition and theory of mind, which reflects social domains, and also decreases in the magnitude of changes in brain activity and brain size. Early on, the differences were huge, and now later, they're much smaller, Much smaller, in fact, to the point where the senior author goes as far to say is that there won't be any differences between those with and without autism spectrum disorder in a few years. However, the differences in inhibition have really stayed the same. So people with autism continue to show problems with executive functioning and social deficits, but they're not as severe. On the other hand, they did a comparison to schizophrenia, and they found that this is a phenomenon focused on autism because the differences have maintained over time for schizophrenia. Now on to the interpretation. While some people can interpret that this is why prevalence has gotten higher, that's only one interpretation. The data from this particular study actually cannot be used as direct evidence that diagnostic changes have caused an increase in autism spectrum disorder prevalence. One can interpret it that way, but that's not really what the data says. What the data does say is that the profiles of people with ASD have changed. 
The autism spectrum disorder and research studies from people that were diagnosed in the 90s are not the same as the autism spectrum disorder in research studies published recently. The authors don't think this is due to changing diagnostic criteria because the DSM-5 is relatively new and most of the studies use DSM-4 criteria. But I don't really think that can be ruled out. They just say that because the differences were not as drastic after the DSM-5 was introduced, then it cannot be because of diagnostic criteria changes. However, I do want to point out that studies published in 2016 may still include people diagnosed in 2006. So I can disagree with the argument that this all happened before DSM-5. Also, the interpretation of symptoms and how they apply to DSM do have something to do with it. The authors suggest that because IQ or adaptive behavior was not always included in earlier studies, it might be possible that those with varying abilities and disabilities were included more recently but not early on. What has this study sparked is the debate of what is autism, who has autism, what are core deficits, will that change eventually? With the perspective that autism is a difference rather than a disability, how would you interpret that? In fact, the differences are very small, and if you compare them to people 20 years ago, the differences were very large. Would you or could you apply real-life practical applications of those research findings to people across the spectrum? Because that's what we're doing this for, finding answers and turning them into ways to help people with autism spectrum disorder. I talked to several experts, including some of our SAB members. They all reiterated that diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder should include harmful dysfunction. If there is no harmful dysfunction, maybe there should be a different diagnosis that reflects differences, not impairments. This seems to be the outlook that many people take, both parents, people with autism, and clinicians. Diagnosis should not be diluted to a point that those with really harmful dysfunction are placed in a position where their dysfunctions are minimized because of a lack of differences. People should always be supported in their needs and symptoms, but not necessarily just a flat-out yes or no diagnosis. So in those with differing symptoms, should there be a different category of diagnosis so that their needs are helped in a way that suits them better? Now, who can argue with that point? One SAB member, Susan Hyman, pointed out that the study didn't incorporate changes in intervention practices over time. Maybe some people with autism are receiving better services and more effective interventions, such that some deficits are no longer deficits anymore. Remember, some executive function deficits are still there. Symptoms, not the diagnosis, needs attention. And it's not all about behavioral interventions. Medications have gotten better. So in my mind, perhaps a research diagnosis needs to be different than a community-based clinical diagnosis, which is often needed for services. Her interpretation is that the autism spectrum disorder diagnosis does not need to be eliminated, but really critically reconsidered in a research setting because the definition of autism spectrum disorder or different subtypes of ASD impact the interpretation of research findings that inform things like biomarkers and outcomes. If you're a person with autism and very mild social impairments, maybe you shouldn't be included in a research study that's focused on drastic social impairments. Unfortunately, all of these ideas need to be operationalized. I mean, yes, they can be by including people with only certain signs and symptoms of autism into different research studies, but that doesn't really help when we think about autism as a whole. 
Perhaps it's time to really stop thinking about autism as a yes or no and really embrace the dimensional diagnosis where there are different subtypes. This was the intention of the DSM-5, which you will remember has clinical specifiers. These specifiers would include cognitive ability, severity, genetic comorbidities, and verbal ability. However, it may be that they are not used. Céline Saulnier, a member of the SAB who sees families in both a research and clinical setting, said this, and I'm going to quote, With the broadening diagnostic criteria over time, the subtleties in autism symptom expression have increased, requiring a need for more comprehensive, often multidisciplinary approaches to evaluation and diagnosis. Unfortunately, less than 10% of community practitioners are using the gold standard assessments when evaluating individuals with autism, which likely increases the number of misdiagnoses given that diagnosis is currently based solely on clinical judgment. Now, she also addressed the issue of harmful dysfunction as a criteria for a diagnosis. She says, Moreover, with the lines now blurred between neurotypical and neurodiverse, it becomes more challenging to identify what behaviors meet criteria for clinical impairment. Nonetheless, classic autism, a debilitating social disability that is impairing across all contexts in life, still exists, and these individuals require the help of professionals to obtain their respective optimal outcomes. Thus, I am a strong advocate for retaining the label of autism, autism spectrum disorder for those individuals who require intervention, and opting for another label, if any is really needed, for those with social vulnerabilities and atypicalities that are either the byproduct of other disabilities or merely off the norm. Eric London, who has an MD and has been treating people with autism for over 30 years, has another solution. His says his solution is to further expand the behavioral diagnoses to include all developmental brain pathologies, but along with this, including a more rigorous assessment of symptoms the person experiences. The neglected reality is the concept of a diagnosis as a medical concept, which is designed to help the physician quickly make decisions concerning treatment. If it's not functional, it's not a good diagnosis. What we need in autism and other brain diseases is to recognize that these are brain development issues and to then focus on the individual and treat the symptoms that are in one person. The desire to make a simple diagnostic category instead of an individual assessment is misplaced. I was also really interested in your input on this. So when I saw the study on Friday morning, I posted a press release about it. It isn't the actual study, but this particular press release provided a good summary, I thought. These are the things you had to say about it. Now, I'll be the first to admit my sample includes only those who follow ASF on social media. For those of you who listen and aren't on social media, comment on the podcast page at asfpodcast.org, and I'll make sure it's up there. As long as it's not spam, I post comments. Sometimes we get people wanting to sell Viagra, which is why I have to moderate the comments. So one person said that they had little sympathy to the plight of researchers who couldn't detect differences between people with autism and those without. Autism is all the same. Others were concerned about those who self-diagnosed. While self-diagnosis may be a problem, that wasn't actually reflected in the findings from this study. All the people in the findings from the study were diagnosed by a clinician. They were people that had a documented diagnosis based on a professional clinical evaluation. But self-diagnosis, I guess, does still remain a concern. Some were concerned that things like medical comorbidities were not included in the study or even sensory issues, that this particular analysis may not have captured enough symptoms of autism spectrum disorder. 
Finally, most of the comments actually agreed with the conclusion that autism has become a catch-all diagnosis. That while the existence of social communication problems is part of the yes or no diagnosis, the severity of these problems, ranging from socially awkward but verbal to minimally verbal, just creates too much variability to make meaningful comparisons. Where this gets tricky is not so much the label, which can be used to obtain services, but the application of evidence-based treatments to services. This can also be reflected in biology, which are targets of intervention. If those with normal eye contact are included, as someone with autism in research studies, studying eye contact in autism spectrum disorder becomes useless. This directly impacts the services that those with different symptoms with autism receive. Those with minimal to no language are assumed that their abilities are different than they actually are. Those who have emotional recognition problems are lumped into those who have very little problems. So how can you measure early emotional regulation in an intervention based on minimal dysfunction? In the end, I and the authors agree that if there is really no difference in, say, interventions that focus on a part of autism that not everyone suffers from, then is that intervention even worthwhile? It may be worthwhile to some, but diluting features of autism in one diagnosis is not doing anyone help. It's missing helpful services for some people and wasting the time of others. Are we dismissing too many flags because they are now in different colors? Should we be focusing on red flags rather than orange and purple flags? Should orange and purple flags be named something else? If something is a difference, it's not the same as a dysfunction. Autism is defined by dysfunction, not difference. I'll sum this up and let you get on to, with some of you, the last week of your summer. Labor Day is next Monday, and we're going to give everyone a break. We need better services for people across the spectrum. The heterogeneity issue, as it's called, is not helping those on either end of the spectrum, period. The only way to improve services is research. If research cannot accurately distinguish people with and without autism, then this is a real problem because then there will not be a true understanding of autism. More important than my statement is yours. Please comment on the ASF podcast link or on the Facebook page or on Twitter about this. Thank you and happy early Labor Day.